Okay. <clears throat> the next thing I, I want to share is something that I knew about, and I knew about for many years. Uh, <clears throat> but about two years ago, just over 18 months ago, I had a, a revelation concerning this particular verse of scripture. And I got quite excited with what I saw. And I felt at that time that God told me to share it uh, wherever I went. Uh, I have shared it into some meetings of the church here, but not all of them. I've shared it in India and wherever I go. And I'm just doing what I feel God has told me to do. And I believe if he's told me to do that, the Spirit will then work with what I've done. But right in the first verse of the Bible, it says something absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. I look at, I look at creation, and, you know, creation is absolutely beautiful. I was saying, I went to Nossal Priory. It stands in these big grounds, and look out this window, and you've got this. It's a mile great wide stretch a mile apparently they used to run the horses down it and it's surrounded by woods and it's green and it's absolutely beautiful now that's about five miles from where I used to live in Featherston in the middle of a coal mining area beautiful countryside you know I've never been to Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls uh, but they must be majestic to see um, I remember once when on Tenerife, Alan Wright took, me to a, took us to a place called Masca. Some of you may have been to Masca. It's a, a hidden village and it's up in the, the sort of hills and very narrow roads leading up. And the scenery is staggering. But I'll tell you what, none of that compares to the creation I'm going to read about in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Again, I want to read from the message. One thing about the message, it puts stuff into modern idiom. may not be an accurate translation, but it does put stuff into a modern idiom. And, and because of that, it puts it differently. It, it arrests you in a different way. It says, God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Oh, I could see that. Could you see that in the committee room of heaven? There's Father, Son and... Holy Ghost, and maybe there's a pile of angels listening on the, the CCTV, as it were. And then God says, Okay, lads, shall we make human beings in our image? Holy Spirit and the Son knew immediately. The angels wondered, what on earth are human beings? They had no idea. He says, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. So they, they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds. And they notice how serving comes in. Jesus, knowing where he'd come from, knowing where he's going, knowing that Father put all things into his hands, washed the feet. Make them reflect in our nature so they can serve. They can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle. Yes, Earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. Wow. Wow. 
Wow. We look at that mighty waterfall. Do you know that mighty waterfall's looking at us and thinking, I'm waiting for you to have that revelation of being a son of God. Hallelujah. When Jesus came into this world, he was God born of a woman as a man. And he was a man just like we are. I've already said that. He had a body like ours. Well, I'm not sure his body was like mine. It depends how many curries he did and whether it was like mine or not. He had a body like ours, physical in every way. Subject to the same weaknesses as we are. And also subject to the same temptations. In every way, Jesus was like us. But he never sinned. But he never sinned. It says this in Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. If Jesus isn't exactly like us apart from sin, his death on the cross was meaningless. He had to be like us for his death on the cross to have any significance. He was a human being, a full human being. Jesus is both God and man. And he was as much a human being as any of us are. Now the thing is, that because we don't understand this, we can't grasp this, we tend to subconsciously think that his godness made him into a sort of superhuman. But I'll tell you what, Jesus couldn't fly around the world on his cloak. Jesus couldn't climb up walls like Spider-Man. Jesus was a human being. He was also God, but he was a human being. And we need to understand, I think in, 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 in understanding our identity, I think an important part of it is to understand that Jesus is a man. Not only was Jesus born a man, not only did Jesus walk on earth as a man, not only did Jesus die as a man, not only did Jesus rise as a man, but Jesus is in heaven as a man. Now, we need to understand that he is also God. Now, we can't understand that. Because I believe that therein, the fact that he was a man, lies a significance and source of the salvation he has procured through the cross for us. He came preaching the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, depending whether you read Matthew's gospel or the other gospels. And this word kingdom, it's a Greek word which comes from a root word meaning basis. Basis. A kingdom is the realm of the sovereign. It's the basis upon which he operates. It's the realm of the operation of the king's will. It's the realm of the expression of the desires and designs of the king. That's what a kingdom is. The kingdom of God is the realm of the operation of the will of God. It's the realm of the operation of the expression of God's desires and designs. And when Jesus came bringing the message of the kingdom, he was the king bringing the kingdom. He was 
showing what God's will, what God's designs and God's desires were in everything he did. When he healed the sick, he was saying, God doesn't have sickness. He doesn't want sickness. He doesn't like sickness. And sickness is not from him. It was a sign, as Tim was saying. So everything he taught and everything he did was to reveal something of the nature and the heart of God. Now one such desire and design is found in Matthew 13, verse 44, where it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is saying something about the heart and desire of God. What's it saying here? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's saying that the kingdom of heaven sees beyond the obvious and the external. We can look around and we can have opinions of one another. Those opinions are usually based on the obvious and external. The kingdom of heaven goes beyond that. Man would never have chosen Peter to preach the first message after Christ rose from the dead. Man would never have pursued Saul of Tarsus, who was throwing Christians into prison. The kingdom of heaven sees beyond the obvious and the external. The kingdom of heaven sees treasure where no treasure is apparent. There's a strong implication that this field that Jesus is referring to here is a cultivated field. It's a field that man has worked on. In which case, we see that the kingdom sees beyond that which man has accomplished or even which man has messed up. The kingdom sees treasure which is hidden by anything man has done or man has even violated. That's what that verse says. The kingdom of God, and when we say the kingdom of God, we mean God. We mean the king. The king and the kingdom are inseparable. The kingdom sees treasure where this world sees none. And the kingdom puts a, a value on the field beyond the value put on it by this age or this world. And we need to catch those things. We'll say what the treasure is and what the field is in a minute. But catch the heart of God here that he sees beyond what we see. He thinks beyond what we think. He values us that as treasure that we don't even recognize. Now let me tell you a story. A little story I've made up. Piece of paper. Anybody tell me what the value of that piece of paper is? Pardon? Nothing. Nothing? Three. Three. That's a miserly attitude. 
nothing for a bit of pain. <laughs> Pardon? One P. How much would you give me for it? Three? Three. Three. Oh, from a oh oh from a oh that's getting a bit deep. Yeah. Anyway, I've got one piece, so she has to put a value on it. It's just a piece of paper. Pun? Sawdust. I'll tell you what, if you're ever taken short, you might find a value in that bit of paper. Alright. See, don't despise a day of small things, it says in the Bible. At least Carolyn offered a penny. Piece of paper. I've got another piece of paper, same size. Oh, oh, yes. Sawdust. Yeah. You're not thinking of trees now, are you? No, right. So, what, what's this worth then? Ten quid. Ten pound, yeah, it's, that's worth ten pound, that's right. Now then, what's this worth? <laughs> Jeff, would you give me ten pound for it? <laughs> I'm just asking you to put your money where your mouth is. I've got a bag full of these at home, I'm looking for somebody who'll give me ten pound. <laughs> ten pound. Ten pound. It just happens to be a dirty ten pound note. <laughs> what about this? This decrepit old thing. What's this worth? Ten pound. You still think it's worth ten pound, even though it's nearly broken up? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I've got a bit of paper in my pocket here. Anybody like to say what this is worth? Well, it's only fit for throwing away, isn't it? Stop where you are, man. You got the message. You got the message. That's right. You've got the message. It's all screwed up, only fit to be thrown on the scrap heap. But it's still worth £10. £10. Nice, neat, smart, respectable. Hmm. Can you do this again at the end so I can film it? Pardon? Can you do this again at the end so I can film it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not filming it now. Well, I know people like this. But I'll tell you what, that that's still worth £10. Yeah. You could wash it if you want. <laughs> I, I know I, I know many people I know many people like this but you're still prepared to give me £10 for it and this thing fit to be thrown on the scrappy £10 but it's only a bit of paper it's only the same size as that other bit of paper and yet you're putting a, a value of £10 on here and the other one, the best offer I got were one penny. <laughs> the value of this piece of paper is nothing to do with a piece of paper. It's just a bit of paper. The value is defined by the fact it's got the sovereign Z on it. Okay? 
The value is defined by the fact that hidden, and you have to hold it up to light to see it, is the sovereign's head. Hidden within the fabric of it is the sovereign. Almost hidden is a silver strip going through it. This is what defines the value. And then last but definitely not least, there's a promise on it. I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £10, says the governor of the Bank of England. You see, you looked at one bit of paper. You don't know what's hidden in that. I'll let you into a secret, there's nothing. <laughs> Another bit of paper, the same size. And there's a whole pile of hidden things in there that actually is what gives it value. That's what gives it value. That's what makes it worth what it is. Not the bit of paper it looks like. So what's this parable on about? Jesus sees treasure in the field. That treasure that Jesus sees in the kingdom of God is the treasure of the investment by God of his own being in human nature. The investment by God of his own being in human nature. He says, let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. But you notice what else he did when he made man? He did something that he didn't do with anything else in the whole of creation. He breathed. The spirit of life came in. The treasure in that field is the investment by God of his own being in man. This is the priceless treasure. We, our being, is the field in which God's treasure is hidden. I'm sure you're beginning to get the message I'm trying to get over here. You know, it's just a bit of paper, but there's a treasure hidden in. It's the investment by God of his own being. In the creation of man, God revealed his glory. He revealed his glory. I read, I don't know if it was A.W. Pink or somewhere like that who said that the glory of God is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. And when you look at creation of man, you see something in man that is not in the rest of creation. There is the very likeness and image of God. We were created in the image of God. This is why the theory of evolution has such a stronghold in the world, because it demeans the value of that treasure. We descended from a monkey. No. No created monkey ever had the spirit of life breathed into them. No created monkey was ever created in the likeness and the image of God. But man bears the glory of God in his creation. The glory of God is his image, his likeness in humanity. But sin coming into the world has hidden that glory. It's hidden that glory. 
but our inner being hosts the treasure of the life of our design. The scripture says God has put eternity in the hearts of man. It doesn't say that God used to put eternity in the hearts of man. There is a God dimension within the heart of man that's in no other aspect of creation. And I believe that that is the glory of the likeness and image of God. God's will, God's desire, God's design was to reveal that treasure, is to reveal that treasure, and he gave everything to redeem that treasure. And to redeem, not just redeem the treasure, but to redeem the revelation of that treasure. So the whole earth would see the glory of God in mankind. It says this of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He was referring to Jesus as a man. Jesus was the second man. Jesus was the second Adam. Jesus was the man. And when, and when Jesus was born as man, he was the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Somehow, I think... And this is maybe just my imagination that Jesus looked a bit like Adam and Eve when they were created. Jesus came as a man. The radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus demonstrated in his incarnation, when he became man, Jesus demonstrated that there was nothing wrong with the design. God didn't make a mistake when he created man. When God created man, he created something absolutely wonderful. It's not something that's climbed to the top of the tree in all creation. He created him unique. And when Jesus, and when Jesus was born, God showed man as he originally intended him to be. Jesus said, He that has seen him, has seen the Father. In his incarnation, as it were, Jesus justified the creation of man as the carrier of the glory of God in his image and likeness. When Jesus rose from the dead in his, in his resurrection, he demonstrated there was nothing wrong with God's salvation because he went into death and he came out, he went into the grave, he came out, he rose again victorious over sin, over death, over the devil. He demonstrated that the salvation was okay. So the creation was okay. The salvation was okay. On the cross, Jesus redeemed our original image. He bought it back. He paid the price to remove everything that could hinder the revelation of that original glory in every human being. It's there. It needs to be revealed. John the Baptist, when he introduced Jesus, he said this, with the coming of him, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and every hill shall be made low. The crooked ways shall be made straight. 
the rough places shall become level ways. What John is saying here is that everything that will hinder the revelation of the glory that is going to be revealed through what Jesus did, everything that could hinder is being dealt with through the work of Jesus. The mountains come down, the valleys come up, the wiggly places made straight, the rough places made smooth. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with your and my design. There's nothing wrong with your and my design. As much as Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, so you and I are created in the image of God. There is no problem with Jesus' salvation. His salvation is awesome and effective. All that needs to be dealt with now is the lie we believe about ourselves. Lies that some of us take on board. We, we've been told stuff. Never make it. You can never do this. You can never do that. It's lies. Maybe lies that for various other reasons have so become part of the, uh, the fabric of our being that we don't even know the lies, but they're lies. So many, even Christians, struggle to receive a compliment. I know great men of God, powerfully used by God, but you try and offer them a compliment and they struggle to receive it. And this is part of a lie that somehow says, I am not, I, you know, you shouldn't be saying stuff like that about me. Jeff gave me a very honorable introduction. I have to be honest, I found it embarrassing. But the basis of my embarrassment is a lie. It's a lie. Satan and sin has so worked upon our lives that it's almost second nature to think lies about ourselves. It said, Jesus said this about Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus says, when I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Whoever you are, the world don't believe me because their minds have been so infiltrated with the attitude of the father of lies that there's a lie that needs to be dispelled and dealt with. Paul writing to the Romans, talking about some of the behavior of mankind, says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And instead of worshiping him as the creator, they worshiped him as the creature. But it says they exchanged the truth for a lie. You know, if I say that you are created in the image of God, you're absolutely wonderful, God thinks you're great and he loves you immeasurably, how many of us would shrink from that? Because we start to exchange the truth for a lie. We need to learn to be able to receive this 
and to stand up if necessarily in the first instance and say to God, God, I just thank you that I'm created in your image. I'm created in your likeness. I've got your DNA within me. I just thank you, oh God, that you love me with an unbreakable, unstoppable love. Oh God, there's no other creature on earth that exceeds me in your beauty and your glory. These things are true. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. The Mirror Bible puts it this way. Instead of embracing their maker as their true identity. Now that's interesting. Instead of embracing their maker as their true identity, they preferred the deception of a warped identity, religiously giving it their affection and devotion. You know, our identity is God. Our identity is God. That's where a lot of names come from. John Jackson. John, the son of Jack. John Thompson. John, the son of Tom. George Godson. <laughs> Hallelujah. George Godson. We need to embrace, if we embrace our maker as our true identity, we will embrace the identity that we have as the sons of God. Amen. Amen. And it's taken the enormous power of God in Christ's achievements on the cross to rescue our minds from the sins they believe. Now for some that might just be a matter of faith and grace and suddenly there's a revelation like Paul on the Damascus Road. What a man. What a way his life was turned round. What a villain he was before that. But for some of us it may be that there are lockups and and bondages that have been put on us, and they, they ju we just need a little bit of maybe Holy Spirit ministry. But it still doesn't, take, it still doesn't change the truth that our identity is God. Amen. Whatever I did to that £10 note did not change its intrinsic value. Whether I make it dirty, if I gave you the choice of a dirty or clean one, you'd pick the clean one, because you don't know what dirt I rubbed it in. If I gave you the choice of the nice clean one and the torn one, you'd definitely choose the clean one. You know, there's some people don't actually realise a screwed up one was a £10 note. Some of us sitting here might think, do you know, that's me. You know, I know people that's just throwing me on the rubbish heap and think I'm, I'm worth nothing more. Maybe some sitting here just thinking, that broken up £10 note, that's just like me. I just feel I've been totally broken up and fractured but your value your value yeah. has not changed hallelujah hallelujah Luke chapter 15 that beautiful chapter of lost things let me just read some bits of verses Luke 15, 6, the woman, the, the man, the shepherd says, I have found my sheep that was lost. What was it that was lost there? No. I found my sheep that was lost. What was it that was lost? Sheep. Yeah, because it was lost didn't make it unsheeped, did it? It didn't become a goat. It didn't become a rabbit. It was a lost sheep. Amen. 
Luke 15, verse 9. The woman says, I have found the coin that I had lost. What did she find? Coin. coin. That's right. It suddenly didn't become a little ingot of metal. It was still a coin. It still said two euro on it, or whatever they had in those days. It didn't lose its value. It was still a coin, even though it was lost. What does the father say? Sees him coming down the road. He says, this my son was lost and is found. What did the father find on that road that day? Son. son. He didn't say, I found a fellow, he looks like my son. I wonder if he is my son. No, he saw the treasure. He saw a son. The sad thing is, the son couldn't believe it. The son couldn't believe it. He was content to take a lesser, a lesser relationship and become a servant. He couldn't believe, despite all he'd gone through, despite saying to his father, I wish you were dead. That's what he was saying when he says, give me your inheritance. I wish, I, I wish you were dead. And he'd gone off. He'd never communicated, never sent a letter. They had no idea what was happening to him. Despite all that... The father says, I found my son. No wonder the son couldn't believe it. But what the father did, he dealt with a lie in his mind. He says, son, you're not a servant. You're my son. You've been lost. But today, I have found you. Hallelujah. I've not had a bad life, actually. Fairly normal. I've had my hang-ups. As Tim was sharing this morning, his, his revelation, his encounter with God, I thought a particular moment in my own life when I suddenly realized what counted was God and my relationship with him and who I was. That significantly changed me. Now, some of you, maybe a lot more stuff's happened. I know it has. I know it has. But whatever has happened to you, whatever you believe about yourself, whatever you believe about God, none of that changes the intrinsic value that you are created in the image and likeness of God. And you are to express in your body the visible glory of God. The visible glory of God. Jesus did not walk around with his head in a goldfish bowl. He didn't have a halo around his head. He didn't have a halo around his head when he was born. Jesus was an ordinary man. If you saw him from a distance, you'd probably think there's a man coming. But in, but in his humanity, he displayed the visible glory of God. The way he spoke. The way he thought. The way he showed compassion. The way he was all inclusive. A deep heart of love and understanding that, that we can never plumb the depths of. All this revealed 
the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, that's our identity. That's our identity. The kingdom of God is like this. You're each one a field. Some of you might be turnip fields. Some of you might be strawberry fields. Some of you might just be one of them fields in the country when you look in and somebody's dumped all their old beds and settees there. <laughs> but the kingdom of God is like this. He sees you as a field, but he sees treasure in you. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know what? He's given everything. He has given everything. He's given his own life. God died on the cross to redeem that treasure in you. Amen? I think that's pretty good, don't you? Let's give God a clap, shall we? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Okay, Jeff.